Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Daddy-O Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Burnett. And I'm your co-host, Brad Bickerton. And we're the Daddy-O's. We are both CEOs and new dads, and we uh, are diving into our dad life with some dad jokes, like the name of this podcast. Uh, but welcome. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. We are both CEOs. Uh, Brad has extensive experience coaching CEOs. I am the CEO of a fintech company. And both of us realized that we are entering the fatherhood journey at about the same time. We both uh, want to be high performers at both being CEOs and being dads and being partners as well. I don't want to forget that. And we decided to document our fatherhood journey together by creating this podcast. So uh, we are ignorant of many things, dad. So take all of our advice and musings with a grain of salt. Uh, but we hope you'll join us on this journey and hopefully you'll learn something. Uh, so with that, on today's pod, you're going to hear about uh, traveling with baby and getting out. You're going to hear where we both are uh, this week in our fatherhood journeys. And if you stay tuned to the end, you'll hear our wins and fails for the week. So with that, Brad, uh, how are things going in your world? What's going on? Things are great around here. New house is settling in and and we're starting to get used to some things. It's really fun and good. And yeah, we're just generally um, pleased and happy about life right now and really stay tuned for my dad fail. It is, it is epic. It is, it is big. It is, there's no way around saying, oh, I just kind of didn't do this right. I did something wrong and I needed to be helped out. So that's something that I can't wait to share uh, on the Theo, Theo watch. I've been talking a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago, he started being mobile and he's gone from mobile to full on crawling now. And so that's maybe a two week journey for him. He just hit seven months. And he's also able to pick himself up um, unsupported by a human, which is great, but there's all kinds of danger because he can't put himself down. And, uh, you know, he's always looking to climb on things or grab things he shouldn't be. And so the the level of joy and excitement and mobility is really high. And the level of we need to watch him has also gone up to really high. So we're pretty happy with all those things. And those are kind of the updates for, for this part of the dad journey for me. But Rob, you're about uh, three weeks in and tell me what's going on. How are you? How's Arthur? How's it being a dad? What's going on? Yeah, uh, we're th yeah, almost three weeks in, three weeks tomorrow uh, at the time of this recording anyway. By the time this podcast comes out, we will pass the three-week mark. Uh, things are really good. We're doing really well. Uh, no kind of crazy big development milestones yet. Arthur's just kind of awake and taking in the world and doesn't really care about us very much other than he wants to be fed and held and and uh, kind of comforted. But I think the big milestone is that he's already growing out of his first set of clothes. So Whoa. those kind of zero to three month or the, the zero to one month clothing set is getting a little tight around his waist. And I've got a very cute uh, and highly inappropriate picture of my son because he's be on the changing table naked and he just has this huge bowling ball of a belly and these skinny little legs sticking out of him. So he is gaining weight well. Uh, he's doing great. Uh, and we're just kind of waiting to see him kind of go from being alert to kind of start to track and see who we are and follow us and interact a little bit more. We know that that's coming. We, uh, I'll talk about it more later on in the pod, but we just uh, hung out with some friends who have a three-month-old. So they're just about two months ahead of us, hmm. give or take. And, you know, her, their little daughter is much more interactive and you can see them getting bigger. And we're just kind of, it's like kind of getting to look into the future. So that's really fun. Uh, but the, 
overall journey has been really good. We're, we're kind of stepping out, venturing out into the world, starting to feel recovered. And at the same time, Arthur's starting to is is constantly unpredictable, right? When we Mm -hmm. think we got something figured out, he changes the script on us. So we're growing and learning. It's funny because I say almost the same thing to other people and everyone who has children older, doesn't matter if it's a year older, or 20 years older than Theo, they go, yeah, well, that doesn't change. <laughs> they will constantly surprise you when they're 13. It could be weeks, months, or years. <laughs> well, that's great. Uh, another thing that's going on in our household. So Theo's seven months old and we are now, so that makes us 12 months behind in getting on wait lists for schools. And it is not a joke that you need to get on a wait list while pregnant. And it's it's interesting. And right now we're choosing there's a lot of stuff on the on on the what we can choose, but I thought for the audience I'd just quickly go through two different private school theories. One's called Montessori, the other's called Waldorf. I'm not gonna get too heavy into it because you all have Google, but if you're listening to this, let me tell you what I've learned in my journey talking to other parents and doing some research. So think of it this way. Waldorf was made by the Germans and Montessori was made by the Italians. And the schools follow the opposite of their cultural norms. So German, cultural norm, individual, do your work, rigid, formal, process-oriented. So naturally, Waldorf is very loose and uh, very, very hippie and the kids are kind of all playing together and there's animals and and they even go so far as to not really have too many sharp corners in the room. They they call it softening the room. So they'll they'll hang things up so that there's not sharp edges. So the children can just kind of learn a playful style of coming into the world. And the second thing Waldorf does is they don't structure anything in education until the child starts losing their first teeth. For their set of reasons, they believe losing teeth is about the time you can start saying, okay, we're now going to do a 20-minute lesson in math. Whereas before, you're kind of just, hey, can you help me count these? And so that's their their theory. A lot of people like Waldorf, but again, it's it's the opposite of the cultural norm of German. Montessori follows the same pattern flipped. Italians are free fun and loving and culturally and laughing and smiling. And so the Montessori schools are actually more formalized and categorized. They let children one-on-one, you say, hey, what do you want to try and accomplish? And then they they help you do that. And you have, you know, you you pick where things go in the room and you do the cleaning up. So it's more individual, it's more structured, and it's more rigid. And I bet you anything that there's zealots out there who will tell you why one of those two theories is wrong or broken or bad. I, I, I can't tell yet. Uh, Sarah Beth, of course, has a PhD in this stuff, so I get to defer to her. But just on this dad journey – the difference in those philosophies, because we are neither in Germany or Italy, you know, so we're saying which one will fit with Theo 18 months from now when he starts, you know, 12 to 18 months from now. And that's the difficulty for me is I, I learn these things and then we get on these wait lists and then the wait lists allow you in or out, but at different times. And once you get into one school, it's kind of hard to move to the other one and they're half days, but you start with two day. Ha- Whoa. You know, and it, it, it I don't feel the pressure of if he goes to the wrong school for the wrong amount of hours before he's age five, that he's not going to get into Harvard and, you know, be the next Teddy Roosevelt. I'm not as concerned with that, but there is this weird amount of, and this is very similar to CEO eatiness, making decisions without evidence that you will only know if they were right or wrong 
after you know that they were right or wrong. And then the last thing on this rant, and thank you for being patient with me, is I did not have a good time in school. And I now know that it's because I was undiagnosed dyslexic, but I was diagnosed high IQ. And so they didn't know what to do with me. And what I was told through all of school, straight through college was I didn't work hard enough. And they never listened to me when I showed them how much hours, time, or effort I put into work. They only saw the results of the work and sloppy handwriting, bad spelling, you know, sentences dropping off. Well, you just didn't edit your work because for a normal child, that would have been true. But they ignored that I can say, hey, I spent three hours on this and it was supposed to be a 45-minute project. And so I got so beat up in school, I still project those fears into helping Theo pick a school. And I, I'm acknowledging that right now so that I don't fall into the cognitive bias of what was broken and didn't work for me in the 90s is not relevant to the decision-making I make for Theo in the 2020s. And so that's, I'm not done with it yet, but I'm working on it. I think that's really fascinating, Brad. And I think at some point we're going to have to do like a full pod on picking schools and stuff. A couple, you know, we, we were that couple that at least for childcare, we, we are already, we, we were on uh, the list a couple months before uh, Arthur was born. Uh, mostly because the way it works here in Oxford is uh, the, the university that Laura works for has great systems. So it's awesome. It, it made it, it, it's really no choice. We just go with them and you just have to get on the wait list. But I do think that's a fascinating on your much deeper, more uh, pressing topic is how, you know, our own experience with education, our own experience, how is that going to shape what we do for our children? And how does that help us be better? And how does that help us fall into the same traps? And I think, you know, Brad, I think for you, I, a topic that we probably do need to, to devote a whole pod to, something I'm reading about right now is like, how does your, how does your learning difference affect how you run your company, how you coach other CEOs? Uh, because having different ways of thinking can be a great way to diversify teams, do all that stuff. And how do we, and, and build better companies, churning out better products more efficiently if you can embrace different ways of thinking. So I don't know how that quite goes back to our, our little couple month old children and, and how they're, where they're going to go to school, but there's something in that. It, it is. It's, it's interesting. One thing that I like the, the skill of coaching and observing and helping people be their best. That is what I've gained over the last seven years being a coach. And that's the other thing is I, you become pretty agnostic as to the person's wins and loss that they're theirs. Right. But you come very strong as to, did I help you get there? And that's something I hope to bring into fatherhood is not to direct Theo where he needs to go, but to be the person who's observing and helping and, and trying to get him there. And then last part, and then we'll, we'll flip over to you unless you have follow-up, is that about 60, 65% of my, my clients are startup founders. And when I, whenever I'm speaking in a group of startup founders, I say, what percentage of you have one of these problems? Broken home, dyslexia, bipolar, ADHD, one, and like 70, 80% of the hands will go up. And I say, yeah, the other 20% of you just haven't been diagnosed yet. You know, all of the people who have the tenacity to start and be a part of it, it, it's grit, it's guts, it's intelligence, but there's always some, I wasn't able to follow the normal path always. And then I had to find my own coping mechanisms. And by learning that, it made it so that I could survive an entrepreneurial journey. So it's interesting that, you know, sometimes I call entrepreneurial CEOs, the island of misfit toys. 
but they still work and they still do cool stuff. But we're all got a little thing. Well, and I would expand that slightly as we kind of loop in more of our, our work experience. I would expand that slightly to not just founders, but if you're if you're on an early startup team, yeah, the early employees aren't maybe aren't quite as fanatical or aren't quite as big a misfits as the founders are, who are the real were, were the real crazy ones. But I found my experience of building a team from like six to about forty is that you get a lot. If you do it right, you can get a lot of great misfits or underappreciated characters because you kind of have to get scrappy on who those people are if you don't have a buttload of funding, which most of us don't. And this is where I think being a dad can really help bring perspective if you do it right is, okay, if if my son's different in some way, presumably like you, Brad, you you were dyslexic, but also high IQ. How do I take advantage of that? And if you're looking at your employees, if you're sitting here as a as a CEO or as a manager or someone running a team, and you're looking at your employees and go, why don't they fit into the box? Mm-hmm. You have to you have to turn those eyes right back around at you and say, okay, there are some roles where someone just needs to fit in the box. Sure. There and 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 you need to hire people that can fit in the box. Accounts but there are table. also, you know, we, yeah, exactly. The accountants. I love accountants. We actually work with a lot of accountants. Yeah. <laughs> it's great, but you want them to be on it. And then, but if you're on a team, start a team of like 10 people, you almost, everyone needs to wear multiple hats and almost everyone needs to think creatively. And so as you think about schools, as you think about kids, when you have a a child of your own, it's a great opportunity to go, okay, if I want his school to cater to him and make sure that they're getting the most out of him, how am I running my organization? So I'm getting the most out of my employees. And this is probably a whole, a whole other topic, but that's a little nugget for, for all, for all you listeners out there. It's a great opportunity to to turn the the focus back on your own company and say, how am I helping my people be the best selves they can be? Do I need to Montessori them? Do I need to ask them stuff, or do I need to you know do a little bit of uh, I forgot the other one now Waldorf. already Waldorf? Or do I need to Waldorf them or something in between? I, right? Or I, need to create I my own system? Love it if that became part of our our lexicon here. Uh, you you probably need to Montessori that 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 business problem. That's this probably you know, not, not, this one really sounds like a Waldorf situation. Uh, there's another one called Reggio Emilia that I, I don't want to get into quite quite yet. But those are kind of the Waldorf and Montessori, at least in this area, are um, are the big buckets. But thank you for going on this rabbit trail with me. But Rob, just kind of handing it uh, handing it back to you. Um, so. Arthur's coming out of his clothes and uh, and you know starting to have this belly and you're, you're taking photos and stuff like that. But you know, tell me about uh, what's it like to have the baby, to hold the baby. Is he fussy? Is it hard to calm him? What's it like to? You said you put some travel with him. Would you um, put him on the back of your bike or what'd you do? Tell tell me a little bit about what the caring of Arthur is outside of the the cave that you're protecting. Yeah, good. Good question. So yeah, definitely feeling, you know, we talked about in the last pod, feeling the love continue to grow, which is great. Getting a deeper connection, really finding uh, that I'm, I'm, yeah, getting kind of falling more and more in love with, with him every day in a really nice way. I'm really enjoying it. And I'm finding what's working for me, right? So like the big thing, the sling, I'm a huge, I'm a, I'm a fan of the sling and so is Arthur. So we've got the <laughs> sling. Um, you know, everyone's probably seen like the baby Bjorns and things like that when they're really little, it's literally just a big old piece of cloth that you kind of wrap around yourself in a fancy way. And I can just slot them right in there on my chest. 
and I take him everywhere in that. So we go for walks almost every day. Ooh. I throw him in there and he just curls up and he just, he just falls right asleep, like on my chest. And it is awesome. It's like so bonding, so connecting. It's not quite skin to skin, but it's just great. And uh, I, I, I got a good dad win on that front that I'm going to save till the end. Um, but yeah, so the connection's growing. He is getting fussier. So I'm having to figure out a lot more. I'm having to pull out a lot more uh, bags of tricks. Mm. And I think, again, this is something I mentioned on an earlier pod, but I think that's the thing I'm learning. There's a book I read called The Happiest Baby on the Block that talks about the five S's for anyone who's heard of it. And if you haven't, they are, oh, I'm going to butcher it, but I, I got, shushing, I got swaddling. Yeah, go to, to tell me what the five S's are. I didn't actually know you're going to reach to these. And so I'd, I'd pulled them up because I couldn't remember anymore. Swaddling, swooshing, swinging, suckling, and side or stomach position is, is this one. And so what is swaddling, Rob? Yeah. Swaddling is basically, so actually we don't swaddle very often. I was actually ready for it. I was kind of into that idea, but he just doesn't need it. doesn't work for him, but it's basically just wrapping them up real tight. There's good techniques. I, that was for me last week. We, we talked about you, you're looking at a diaper change, like a, a pit stop. That was what swaddling yeah. became for me. I became very good and efficient at it and we didn't need to do it for very long. And, but if you don't do it tight, if you don't do it right, it just falls apart. And, and then of course you, you typically, I, I would swaddle them and then hand it back to Sarah Beth. And so the last thing you want to do is a half-hearted sw- swaddling job and then hand it back and then have to do it again. It's just very apart. embarrassing. Yeah. So um, yeah, I don't know that there's other ways to practice, but um, it's not, it's not an aggressive thing. It's not like violent. You're like moving the baby all around real quick, but there is an art to it's tight. Cause that's swaddling. Yeah. Um, shushing with shushing. This is this one has been our saving grace. So this is the this is the biggest tool in our toolbox. So essentially what I learned is that the womb is very loud. Mama's heartbeat and all her organs and her blood flowing, it's all very, very loud. And so babies don't actually need they don't need you to be quiet. So I think what I've learned is that a lot of people make the mistake of when a baby cries, they go, shh, 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 shh. Mm-hmm. Oh, quiet, 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 shh, 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 shh. And that's a, at least in my experience, the mistake. Instead, I go loud. I basically yep. try to out yell him. Yep. And I'll do it right in his, essentially right in his ear, which sounds bad, but I'll just shh, shh, really, really loud, right in his ear. And it'll, it'll, it'll like, it's like an off switch. He'll like turn off and go, oh. and then if I come down, he'll sometimes squawk again and I got to go battle him until I can <laughs> get him to come down. But I basically try to bring him down using that. And that's a really good tool. And I've, taken that tool and i've expounded on it one thing we found is that he likes music and laura's funny being classic mom you know, playing lots of nursery rhymes things like that he's three weeks old he doesn't listen to the lyrics anyway so i figure i'm gonna have a, a years of nursery rhymes why don't i just listen to the music that i like yeah so basically i have like uh laura put together a labor playlist that we didn't really use uh we've got our like our wedding playlists from a year ago like all the songs like all the jams that i like yeah. so i'm like so what i'll do is i'll crank that on my phone like all the way up and pretty close to his head and it'll he'll just like totally and then i can crank it down and we'll just jam out for you know half an hour and he'll just be totally fine as long as you maybe then incorporate some swinging or some holding or something but even so that's sometimes what i was I can told put, as well as they're doing this because they're uncomfortable. They, they they don't know what it's like not to be in the womb. And so, and they, they just don't know what it's like to not be in the only place they've ever been. 
And so then they're crying. Well, in order for them to hear you, you do have to be louder. And that was something the pediatrician taught us uh, day one. And then the next thing is, so what is swinging? Yeah, movement. They love movement. I was talking about the sling. They just like to move. So for us, the sling works really well walking. Some people like putting them in cars. Some people like putting them in a bassinet and rocking them. Um, we just find that definitely like having him basically walking is his favorite thing. And probably it makes sense because Laura walked a ton when she was mm. pregnant. Um, don't know so how much to connect those two dots. Swinging too is, again, it's not violent, but it, it's it's more forceful than you think. It's a solid swing back and forth. And you're only, you're trying to, I think, hijack their nervous system so that it can only pay attention to what you're giving them instead of be frustrated in this zone where – they don't have, they don't know what's going on. They don't have agency. They can't even control their arms yet. They're kind of just yeah, waddling no around. Yeah, what's going on. So, so you kind of swaddle them so that they can't move around by accident. And so that kind of calms that down. And then you shush them so you're louder than them. So their noise isn't what's making the thing. And then you're swinging them around. And then of course, the last, the last thing, I, I don't like this, the side or stomach position. That S doesn't really make sense to me. Um, so it, it, if it's okay with you, let's just move on to the the fifth S. Well, it, yeah, what I, I think that, the idea there is that some babies, when they're on their back, feel like they're falling. They're not used oh. to that, and it freaks them out. It's not been our experience with Arthur, no, but I mean. uh, uh, and but some babies like being on their side and over because because they don't they they feel otherwise they feel like they're tipping back and it it freaks them out. But I think that my big takeaway from the five S is and having read that book while my wife was pregnant. Is not that they're a magic. They, they they do seem to work. They seem like yeah. good advice, and you see you see that advice coming around. But I think the 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 thing for me was putting tools in my toolbox because mm-hmm. I don't have food. We're doing a, we are doing exclusive breastfeeding, so I can't just pop a bottle in his mouth. And so I've got to learn him, and I got to be better at it. And I got to be more proactive about it, and it's really helped. So you know, one thing we've been trying to do is actually Laura's wanted to get back to the gym a little bit you know, just doing some light exercise. She's doing really well. She's kind of getting back at it. And so I'll try to take him for 45 minutes to let her, you know, mom have some mom time, go on, go walk and do some pelvic floor exercises and all that stuff. And I'm like, it's, it's my mission to get mom that uninterrupted 45 minutes. Yeah. I'm not sure. I can't really promise her any more than that, but I can damn well try to, to, to get her that. And, and so, you know, okay, we're going to walk around. Oh, we're going to do this. Oh, we're going to try that. And you got to try a bunch of stuff. And I want to get into getting out with baby, uh, in our, in our, in the next segment. So we can save it for that. But I think the last thing I'll say a little tip and trick here for guys, I made the first mistake. Uh, sometimes he just needs to be fed. So mom's yep. got to come and we created a system because the first time he started crying uncontrollably in the gym, everyone's looking, it's always embarrassing. Uh, but I'll talk about that in the second se- segment. But I was trying to like type with one hand on my phone, like he is crying. Come help me come down <laughs> now, which obviously just doesn't make any sense. So we came up with a, a one through five system. One is he's asleep. Two is he's awake, but calm. Three is he's awake and starting to get fussy. Like maybe just like wrap up whatever set you're doing and come down in five to 10 minutes. Four is you need to come now. He's just, you got it. You got to put it down. And five is an emergency. And so our system one to five, it's great. I can, I can text one number. She knows exactly what it means and she comes and it's, it's been great. We've used it with in-laws as well. It's, it's perfect. This will now be a part of my life story for forever. That's, that's brilliant. And because we have the same things, but we never categorized it. And then of course made it shorter. 
And one of the things that I'm becoming really good at is as soon as my sixth sense, dad sense thinks he's about to pop, that has actually become true. And about to pop is eight to 10 minutes. Uh, he's going to, you know, basically need mom, whatever reasons. Uh, I'm tired of these people. I'm tired of dad or, you know, I want boob, whatever. And so that's your three. Um, and the reason this is so valuable is Sarah Beth is by nature, she's going out to teach her class, but then also, hey, let's start having a life. And I know that I can put him to bed and I can do this and I can do that. But if I could just give her that note of, you know, two, three, it's so much easier for me to text that um, than, and, yeah. And the ones and twos are important, right? Because like, oh, yeah. she's up there wondering, what's he doing? One, all right, I know he's, I know he's asleep. Two, okay, he's awake, but he's just playing with Rob. I know it. Versus, oh, I'm sitting up there worrying, am I going to at any moment have to get off the treadmill and come down? Uh, that's why the ones and twos are important. Because you might think, oh, if, if it's not a problem, you don't need to text anything. No, it, you need to keep the partner informed, even if it, it is, there's nothing to worry about. I, I love it too, because I'm just, I'll incorporate this next Wednesday that I could just, while she's in the middle of class, she can just get a, you know, two, one, two, one. Then she texts me, hey, I'm on my way home three <laughs> it's coming uh, yeah yeah the other thing that's different um is that i have a high tolerance for him being frustrated if it's just he's frustrated not angry not hurt not anything like that but just he's, he's struggling to go down and we're still at the place where he'll only take a bottle for really one use which is to know that he he's not in food scarcity he won't from from the nanny or from myself. He won't take a sincere amount of food from the bottle. But if you give him some, as he's kind of in that, let's call it three mode, it'll oftentimes bring him back to sleep because he's like, oh, okay, I'm not going to get a meal, but I'm not, you know, there's not food scarcity. Um. Anyway, then maybe I kind of lost my train of thought there, but I love it. And when we do show notes, absolutely, let's write this into the show notes. For sure. And so the last thing I'll do here, and then let's take a break and come back with our B block is that is one thing we've consistently found is that in our partnership, Laura has a much lower tolerance for him being fussy, whiny, crying than I do. Uh, I don't, I'm sure some of that is like literally neurochemical, like the cries, you know, yeah. your, 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 your partner who's carried the baby has all kinds of different uh, hormones and chemicals course of the other bodies throughout pregnancy, birth, afterbirth, that just breastfeeding that we're just not going to deal with. We have, we have our own things, but we're not gonna deal with that. So hurt. So the, partially that and partially just her nature of just not wanting him to suffer, which is probably a very nice thing, but we have a much different tolerances. Whereas I don't have, I don't have the boob to feed him. So I have to get creor, more creative and I have to be more patient and I have to be willing to let him yell at me a little bit in order to figure out what's wrong. And so I think just as a, as a partner, it's my, been my experience is just be, be aware that you're probably going to, your partner might be a little quicker to be like, why is he crying? We need to, we need to do something now versus, oh, he's crying. He's fine. He's just, he's just figuring himself out. You'll be fine. Well, there's also the just magic fairy dust that is mom. And I can't tell you how many times I've had him and he's, he's whinging or crying and I've done all the things, everything, right. He's exhausted. He's 35, 45 minutes past his nap time. His last nap was small. I've shown him that he's going to get some food. We're in the lily, we're bouncing, and he's just not having it. And then I take him out of the lily and I start handing him to mom. And he reaches out, he smiles, and he starts giggling. <laughs> and 
what I learned is just being held by mom can be as influential or as desirous or the thing that he's lacking and, and complaining about the same as food or wet diaper. And so that's what I kind of put that on. And I can, I can do food, whether he does it or not. I definitely can do wet diaper as much as I can, but I just can't be mom. Even if he doesn't need to feed, sometimes he's just needs mom and no problem. I'm, I'm a supporting character in that. I, I, I'm not the lead. We never will be, but that, but we're, our goal here is to be the best partners we can be. So why don't we take a break here? And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about getting out and about with the baby. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the backside of Daddy O podcast, where we do all things dad, all things CEO. We combine them. We talk about when they work together, when they don't. And at this particular time, since we're both first-time fathers, Theo's seven months and Rob's baby's almost three weeks. By the time you hear this, he'll be three weeks. We're still focusing quite a bit on what it is to be new fathers and have new babies and also intersperse our CEO-ness into that. But one of the big things that happens, one of the big milestones of having first baby is when do you get out of the house? How do you do that? What's a diaper bag? You know, what, what is a changing table? What is it like to be on a train or a plane and look at other dads saying, yeah, <laughs> I've been there. And so I know, Rob, you're starting to get out and about a little bit. I thought we'd just hand it to you and say, where'd you go? What'd you do? What'd you learn? What were the surprises? I know I'm question stacking, but please tell us your story. No, it sounds good. And I, I want to start this off by just saying uh, one of Laura's former colleagues said it really well, and I can't do it better than him, so I'll just steal his words. I want to make it clear that you you get the baby you're given. And Absolutely. You, know, you get the baby you're given. And so while our story's been really positive and we've had a really good time getting out and about, I know tons of parents who haven't gotten out and about for a myriad of reasons, not the least of which is their their child is just not going to let them for any number of totally reasonable reasons that are totally fine and totally healthy, but they make it harder on mom and dad. And so I don't I really want to make it clear that anyone listening to this who hears about me getting out and about you know, three weeks into the life of our child, I don't want anyone to feel bad because every child's different. We've gotten a very agreeable child in a lot of ways that makes this work. Uh, and, and no one should feel bad if, you know, they can't, you know, it's been six months or eight months or a year and they haven't gotten out because everyone's a little different. Everyone's got different support and every, every child's different and wants different things. So I wanted to I'm start just gonna, with that for sure. I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you. I think, I think all these other dads are just chumps and you're amazing. And they just should have really listened to this the whole time. If they had only they listened to the podcast, uh, yeah. it would all be fine. Yeah, I, I think I think you're hedging too much on how great you are. And uh, Laura should be lucky that she's got the greatness of you and that Arthur would only be the child that he is after 20 days um, due to your effort and, and, and that. And if you believe that, just like if you believe your company's entire success and fail is based off of them, you know, the massive rock you push up the hill every day. Um. Yeah, look at look in the mirror and let that ego go down with block or two. I, I, I'd say so. Okay, yeah, we check but our, you've got we check our egos at the door. <laughs> you got to bring some ego in. You got you got to bring some be, confidence. I, that's where I think that yeah, that's what I want to convey is everyone yeah. should be confident. Yeah, and it's gonna be big and scary, but you should be confident, and you should do everything you can to support your partner to help them be confident. Because but, there's a lot of big scary things. But, you know, you got basically my message is you got this and yeah. you can and should get out as soon as you can because it's awesome. And baby steps 
as well, but literally, literally it's the, this fits in the category and you know, some people like this or not, but it's the known unknown. You know, you're walking into, this is the first time I have been out of the house with baby without mom or with mom or on a journey or the first time I've left baby at home. It's not a full state shift as though, you know, you go from England to Spain and the language is different. It's no, we walked around the block next week. Let's walk around the block twice. Right. And so incrementally changing those known unknowns so that they become more and more knowable. And then the other thing is it's kind of worst case scenario planning Going out with baby, the worst case scenario is you got to change a diaper and he's going to be fussy. And that it's kind of a pretty handleable worst case scenario. Um, I mean, yes, you can write horror stories in any way you want, but in like the, you know, the normal course of living, the worst case scenario is I should have only walked 10 minutes from home. I walked 15. Now I've got a crying baby for 15 minutes back. That was not the day for it. Exactly. And so, you know, I want to talk about, so we've been lucky enough to get out of the house basically almost every single day since we got home from the hospital, which was Whoa. day two. I'm not sure there's a day we haven't left the house, which we're really proud of. We didn't set out to do that, but it's been really helpful. So it started with a little walk to the coffee shop, grabbed a coffee, came back. Hint, if you're a regular at a coffee shop, they will notice when the pregnant woman is not there and the baby is instead we got some free coffee it was awesome hey. shout out missing bean in oxford oxford um <laughs> take advantage uh and then so we've done that you know we tried we learned that like the baby was better in the morning and afternoon not so good in the evenings so we avoided dinners we've done a lot of lunches and breakfasts if like family wants to come around things like that but i want to talk about two two things just because they happened recently and they're good right so today we took our first day trip. We went and visited a friend who has a three-month-old, and we took a one-hour train journey each way. And it was a little bit big and scary, but we know we've got an international flight coming up. So we're like, well, let's try this out. So you know, train was good because we were, we were going to drive originally, but being stuck in a car seat has a whole lot of problems that are tough. And if you're in the United States, a lot of car seat time. That's a whole can of worms that I don't really want to get into. Mm. But you know, we planned as best we could, right? We put them in the sling. We tried to, you know, know when we were going to feed them. We tried to bring as little as possible. Uh, but you know, change of clothes, diaper bag. Brought the the pram as they call it here, the stroller, and we went and did it. And ultimately, it went really well. He slept. He was actually awake for most of the train ride down, looking out the window, having a great time. We had a great lunch with our friend, and he got to meet his little friend Emma. And then we took the train back and he slept most of the way home and we're a little tired, but it, it was such a, an empowering experience to like, know that we can go out in the world and it's going to be okay. He can handle it. We can handle it. And I think the two, the two big lessons here are one is we know that we were, we, ha you know, essentially in order to be the functioning human beings that we are, we know we're going to have to do an international flight soon, yeah. like eight hours. You know, yes, we could stop doing that, but I, I'm an American who lives in the UK. Like, it's just not reasonable for us not to travel. And so it was really good for us to go and do basically a dry run where, like you said, worst case scenario is like a one hour train journey with a crying baby. Yep. Versus if the first time we get out is right there at the end 
on a big international flight, a lot can go wrong. You don't learn all the mistakes. Uh, and then the second thing I would encourage everyone to consider if you're, if you're working with a small child is there is no more forgiving moment than those first couple of weeks when they're really small. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks they're adorable. Everyone thinks they're cute. They're tiny. The whole world is on your side. If they're crying a little bit, no, no one really cares. Now, nope. if you have like a toddler who's throwing a tantrum, people can start to get mad, but no one really blames the super tiny babies. So like number one, right? Get out early when everyone is going to give you a free pass. I know it feels scary and intimidating, but everyone's going to give you a free pass basically. And in fact, like tons of people come up and go, oh, can I look at your baby? Can I, can I look, can I say hi? It's awesome. Yep. And then the second thing that this is a little bit of a little bit of the entrepreneur in me. It's a little bit of fake it till you make it a little bit of just have confidence to try and own the room. If your baby is crying and they're really small, if you just smile and you're like in a crowded room and you're like, oh, baby, what's what what ails you, my little child? Are you hungry? Are you like if you just if you just make a joke out of it, everyone else is cool. Everyone understands. And if they're not cool, they're a jerk and let them go pound sand. But if you just own the room and be like, I'm dad, I don't have boob. I'm just going to have to talk this child down because they're crying and I don't know quite why, but I'm calm and I'm collected and I got this. Everyone thinks you look good. It doesn't matter if they squawk or squeak or full on crying. They look at you and go, well, he's got it. If you freak out and are like, quiet, quiet. uh, uh, Yeah, you'll, you'll lose the room. People will wonder if dad's an idiot and they'll wonder why the heck mom left baby with dad. What, you know. What an idiot dad, idiot fathers are, are there are plenty of them, right? <laughs> so, so own the room, right? If you're listening to the podcast, hopefully, you know, you're, you, you want to be a high performer in some way, shape or form. You want to be a good partner. Just laugh and smile. If your baby's crying, it's good. And it's amazing how it will disarm the room and everyone will go, oh, it's cute. They're, they're little, they're crying. It's okay. I, I love that. And he hasn't, Arthur hasn't found his voice yet both his ability to use it or the, 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 the decibels that he can create. And lucky for us, Theo figured out his voice at about five months, but it was playful, but he was making really loud noises, mostly at home. Just, wow, I can chirp really loud. And the fear that I have is that sometime we'll be out and he'll not be chirping really loud. He'll be screaming and yelling, but honestly, most of his crying is pretty temperate i guess i would say he is definitely letting us know he is not happy and he is missing something or wants something it's the, there's no question that he's communicating but he has yet to figure out that if he goes up a notch that you know i cringe or the, the whole plane would look at us and that, that we haven't had that problem yet uh you do bring up though uh, a couple tips from my side that, that we learned over the time um on the longer car journeys um, especially when he was younger, seven months, he was younger at one than seven months at one point. His problem was that he felt alone in the back of the car. And what we learned is a lot of the things we do are about 45 minutes away. Good friends live 45 minutes away. Denver's 45 minutes away. And what we learned is on the trip out, he's usually pretty okay. Maybe a little fussy getting in the car seat, maybe a little fussy starting the car, but then a couple minutes in, he'll calm down. And the rule of thumb is, if they cry for more than 19 minutes, then they're missing. Something's wrong. They're they're awake. They need food. They need diaper change. But under 19 minutes, they're probably did, just getting. Yeah. Where did the 19 minutes come from? It came from our sleep coach. 
She says that there's this science and 19 is why didn't you just say 20? I don't know. Maybe she's trying to make it sound more sciencey. And our sleep coach, again, remember her first name is patience. There is also, that reminds me of sales tactics. When you pick a pricing, when you pick a number that's like very specific, people yeah. remember it and they, and they assume that there's good reason behind it. So it might be 20 minutes. It might be, but if you say 19, it's a really good one to get people to really like commit to it. And that's why I'm committing to it right now. I, I have not read the supposed journal articles that she's read. Right. And all the coaches and stuff. Well, when you read the literature, like, did you read the literature? Or are you just telling me stuff right now? You know what? What you're telling me helps. I'm going to say yes to that 19 minutes. I am not going to double check your work. But we've learned over and over, especially when he's fussy in the car that, I mean, I just literally, and I do this anyway, whenever I leave, I kind of note the time and I just kind of add 19 minutes to that. And, you know, Sarah Beth might get a little pretty frustrated at the 10 to 12 minute as there's kind of a crescendoing of his crying. And then almost invariably, because we we know to change his diaper before we go on a car trip and we know to try and give him some food before a car trip. So we've kind of done the big things. And then inevitably that 15, 17 minutes, he's still whimpering like he's trying to tell us, but he's too tired to kind of <laughs> like I'm trying to complain. I'm just too tired to do it right. And so that 19 minutes is good. But on the way home, no matter where we were, he had a big adventure, right? We we drove somewhere and like we did pre-Thanksgiving a little bit ago. And we talked about this on one of the first episodes of the pod that we left before dinner intentionally when we took a dinner home with us. But he got to see more people than he'd ever seen in his life. And these people all, you know, they're, they're my pseudo family. They've known me for years. They're happy to see him. They're cooing and on. He was exhausted. And the smart move, and this is the tip, and then I'm going to tell the stories how we got to it. The smart move is have mom sit in the back seat. She can hear me. My voice booms loud enough. I can hear her actually better when she's behind me. And Theo gets to not only have something handed to him if he needs something to play with, he also gets to see mom. And that and, and be shushed and cooed with mom. So do not ever hesitate, especially on the ride home, just to gently say to your partner, would you like to sit in the back seat? The way we learned this. Actually, just for the record, we've I, I didn't even know it was an option to both sit in the front seat. We've, we've never not said we've never now we have much shorter car journeys, but we never don't have someone sit next to him in the back. So for any dads out there who are like, I just thought you had to like that we just. We just we just do that. We never even thought to both sit in the front. But anyway, carry on. So the story for us, he was coming up on four months old. I think it was four months old. And she had a big speaking event uh, in the middle of America, Manhattan, Kansas. And in order to get there, in order to do this right, we had to go together. And it's a Monday speaking. She's keynote speaker at noon on stage, followed by doing a workshop from like one fifteen to three. So like it's a big chunk of time. It's in a different city, all these things. And so the only way we can do is we're flying from Denver to Dallas, Fort Worth, and then DFW to little regional Manhattan, Kansas. We go to DIA and we, first off, we have to go through different lines. I'm not going to get into that story again. And we meet up at Voodoo Donuts. We've talked about this. And that's when we realized that our flight was delayed. And then it was delayed so much, we were going to miss the second flight. So the earliest we could then arrive in Manhattan, Kansas was 11.45 a.m. the day of the speech. Hmm. So we're sitting there in Voodoo Donuts thinking, what do we do? I say, well, it's an eight-hour drive. So we go out of, with baby, everything. We go out of the airport. We get our, our checked luggage back, and we get in my car, and we have nothing prepared for a long car trip, of course. But we have a car seat. Credit card, mom, 
And this is why you take the baby steps early on because you never know when you're going to need to take an emergency eight hour car trip. Oh my gosh. And so we didn't know where Theo was going to be in this and we're a little kind of confused and maybe frustrated. And uh, there's actually a loss in this. I did something kind of stupid, but um, what we learned is, I mean, she and I love to talk. She had to practice her speech and he was really good. He got kind of tired of being in the car seat, maybe every three hours, pull over to a rest stop, come out, walk around in circles for a little bit, you know, hold him, like let him feel you and you know, change his diaper, give him some food. And then, you know, he's a little baby. Like that's kind of all he needed. And he would even just sometimes be rocking and rolling, goo-goo and ga- gagging at mom's eyes while in the seat. It, he was a champ on that tour. The place that I failed is I tried to take a bachelor trick and apply it to family. And the bachelor trick was this. Years ago, 2012, I did something called the Camino de Santiago, which is an 800-kilometer, 500-mile walk through Spain. And over the days, it takes 35, 40 days to do it. Over the days, you start creating new patterns that help. And one of the patterns that I that helped that I put in all of my big trips for, for life is get the first hour out of the way as quick as possible. Right. Just kind of like in the morning, like get your first 10 emails done before your first cup of coffee. Why? Because you've done that task, but your brain kind of resets when you stop and you have your coffee and your food and everything. So it kind of feels like you truncated the day. Totally works when you're, you know, 32 years old, uh, you know, backpacking through Europe. And so I, that's what I said when we got in the car in Denver. I said, let's just get the first hour. Let's just get on the road and go. The mistake that I made is there is nothing between Denver east to Manhattan, Kansas. I mean, nothing. Like we would have had been happy for a Walmart, right? They, they, there was truck stop food and nothing else. And so that was my big mistake is I should have paused and said, hey, let's, let's gear up for this inevitable eight-hour journey. And let's buy the snacks and the water and, you know, whatever else, because we weren't expecting to do a drive. And so that was my mistake. We get one hour away from Denver. I'm like, okay, good. We got an hour in. Now let's uh, find a good place. Like, let's go to a Walgreens because I need some allergy. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Let's go to a thing. Oh, Mountain Dew is basically all they have. Oh, good. So that was my uh, taking a bachelor trick and applying it to family and a, and a fail. And that's also the story of the longest trip that Sarah Beth and I have taken with him and the success mostly on her side in doing that. Well, I love that you were able to do it and pull it off. Oh yeah. Oh, and she crushed it at that speech. Um, my, just my last little shout out to, to my amazing wife. Uh, they're turning her, the video of that and some other things into her first speaker sizzle reel. And uh, it, it's impressive to see who she, she is from that. Anyway, cool. So that's traveling with baby. Any other thoughts? Did I cut you off? Do you have other bits do you want to say about, travel nothing nothing with travel I, there's no there's no magic it's just be patient give it a shot be confident and then the last thing i, I want to share is you know so uh yesterday was valentine's day we didn't do anything big but the day before was the last night that my mom and my sister were in town kind of visiting and helping out and so they had kind of asked actually can can we babysit like can we mm. can we hang out with arthur on our own and we're kind of like, yeah, I, okay, yeah, we're, we're feeling it. So they were at an Airbnb, and like five minutes down the road was one of our favorite hubs that was quick kind of burger joint. So we're like, all right, let's do a Valentine's Day dinner, just Laura and I. So Wonderful. we're 18 days into this, and we basically gave him a big feed, walked him over to the Airbnb in the sling. So we basically fell asleep, handed him off to grandma and auntie Margaret, and then we're like, we told, we taught my 
we taught them the number code, yep. the one through five. And then we said, you know, we're going to, it's one of those places where you kind of order at the bar. It comes quickly. It's totally fine. So we walked over like school kids. We practically wanted to run because we were just sure he was going to start wailing. But we walked, you know, five, seven minutes to the pub. We ordered our food. It came, we sat, we ate. Laura had a beer, which was like her first one in like a year. Um, and we we had dinner together and we mostly talked about Arthur and being parents for the first time. And it wasn't particularly romantic and we were kind of on edge the whole time. Uh, but my, like every 15 minutes, my mom or sister texted us pictures of Arthur asleep. So we got to the end of the meal and he was still asleep. And we're like, should we like go get dessert somewhere or something? <laughs> um, Don't push the envelope, up, man. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't push it. We, Take we didn't win. push it. So that, that was Laura. That She was smart. She's like, no, no, I don't want to push it. So, you know, we it was basically a 45 minute dinner, not because we rushed super hard, but it was a quick, quick spot. We walked back and basically we opened the door and mom was like, go away. I want more time with my grandson. <laughs> uh, um, and yeah, so we hung out for half an hour in the Airbnb and then he, then he, then he, he woke up and he got a feed and then we took him home. Uh, but it was just like, it was about as, as low in kind of low risk as you can get in terms of getting out just the two of us, but to like a proper meal out at a restaurant. And the amount of confidence that gave Laura was huge. And me too, that we can, we could do this and it, you know, we will almost certainly do a date night again that will be a disaster because he'll won't be able to feed or blah, blah, blah. But getting that win in under our belt when family was close, family wants to help. And we set up, we set up everything. We, We kind of controlled all the controllables, close, quick restaurant, you know, you pay at the beginning, so you don't even have to wait for the bill. If we need right. to run, we could just run and like leave our food on the table. Like we we just set it all up. And the result is that, you know, 18 days into this, we've gone on a date. And I know people who've gone years, a year or more with not going on a date with their partner. And, you know, I talk about this a lot is I care deeply about my partner. And I think the chosen relationship of, of, the two partners who've decided to be together and, and reproduce, that's an important relationship and shouldn't be neglected. And, and that's, so this is how we've decided to do it. And so my putting my energy out into the world here, if you're listening is like, you can do it, control the controllables, do what you can do, but get out there and, and, and encourage your partner to do the same and take baby steps because someday you'll have to, you know, we've got a wedding coming up. We've got things we've got to do. And someday you're just going to have to get in a car and drive for eight hours and you're not going to be ready for it. And so the more wins you can put under your belt and the more things you can learn and the more better prepared you can be, better off you're going to be. And, you know, we think our son's well attached and he likes us and we're doing good and he wasn't freaking out and he wasn't distressed. And it'll be good for him if his parents are happy and healthy and have their own lives. So that's my, that's my bit on that. That's my experience. It was a beautiful bit. Uh, so just two quick things, then we'll go to dad wins and fails. Sure. Uh, one just tip or trick is to calm yourselves down, order the to-go box with the food. Right. And so, hey, you know. You can even, you you can just even say, tell hey, the restaurant. We're, we're, oh, yeah. We're, we're new parents and uh, we might be here for 10 minutes. We might here be here for 45, but can you please bring a box in the check when you do? And look, they don't mind at all if everything's going great. And then you call them over and you get a second check for the dessert. You might get a free beer out of it. And you might get a free beer. 
Um, so that's, that's good. Our journey has not been that easy. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, we've only one time left Theo with anyone and that's the nanny. Uh, well, sorry, he's with the nanny, uh, often, um, but only one time did we have her stay late so we could go out to dinner together. Other time we just bring him with us because we, we like him, but there's also some attachment him to us, but also us to having him with someone else. And, uh, you know, grandma's maybe, you know, they got a different energy than, than, than a babysitter. And, and we'll find out more about that later, but I want to, I want to help get us into dad's wins and losses because and- we're, we're in time and. Keep going. Yeah, we're hitting time. And the, the last thing I want to say too is just date nights are good, but also take your baby out, go to dinner with them, go to lunch with them. That's oh, great. Yeah. yeah, have have a great time. Show up in the world. I love yeah. it. Well, let's get to dad yeah. wins and fails. Uh, sorry, I keep saying it wrong, but uh, hey, Rob, why don't we start with you? Because uh, I love my dad wins and fails. It's all one story, and so why don't we start you're, with you today? You're going to be great. So, the dad win was definitely last night. For the first time, we go to bed early. I think I said this. It was like 7.30. Laura was exhausted. And she actually had a little bit of a block duct. Anyone who's helping breastfeed, it made her, it makes you feel a little feverish. You actually feel quite ill. So she was exhausted, feeling ill. I basically put her to bed at 7.30, but Arthur was very fussy. He hasn't been fussy very often. So basically, I, I got in bed. He wasn't getting having it. So I threw my sling on over basically nothing but my boxers. And I put him in it. And I spent about an hour and a half basically walking around downstairs yeah. with him in the sling. And I basically put on a movie and headphones and kind yep. of like watched it on the table as I walked back and forth. And he eventually, after about an hour, he was calm the whole time. So he wasn't crying. So he wasn't keeping Laura up. And then after about an hour, he fell asleep. And so I very slowly like kind of walked him up to bed and I put him in his bed and he was kind of up. But then I like turned on the white noise machine and I was shaking mm-hmm. him and I basically got him to go down. It took about an hour and a half, but that whole time my partner was asleep. So she got like an hour and a half extra sleep that she needed. And I actually didn't need as much. Uh, and and I got to calm my son down, which was awesome. And it was good dad son time. So like, and I got to watch a movie I had been meaning to watch forever. So like all wins, super awesome. It's been really great. Uh, I think our dad fail for the week. <sighs> I'm so lame. I don't have any good ones yet. And I I, and I, apologize, I apologize to our audience because I am not perfect, but I'm just, I, I, it's just all mundane. I think that like plenty of pooping, plenty of ruined clothes, plenty of pee over everything and ruining and having to change twice. Um, yeah, I think though, I mean, that, that that's the big stuff. And then uh, our baby's got some baby acne. Uh, we mm-hmm. haven't washed him yet. And so that's maybe a fail for the two of us is, you know, we, we kind of want to let, let him keep building his flora and fauna and all that good stuff. But he's he's looking quite like a like a angsty teenager at the moment. So we have to we have to clean him up. Well, yeah, I mean, he, he's he's 18 days, 19 days. So he's a teenager. Yeah, that's right? about right. Yeah, yeah sure. That, that, that's how that's how math and time calendars work. He's a day teenager. He's a day teenager. Um, Brad, you got a good story. I'm waiting to hear it. So why don't you fire away? Oh man, it's it's funny. I, I I'm really enjoying telling this story, and, and that now I'm having the trepidation of, of even telling it because because I just I messed this up. So, uh, last Thursday night, kind of end of the week, uh, starting to cook dinner, do things. I'm on Theo duty. Who's got Theo? That's a very common thing in our in our family. You know, trying to hand him off, and we don't always do that right. And he's in the kitchen doing what he does, which is kind of romps around the kitchen, which is really nice because we can see him. We're close. 
and he's crying. And so I said, okay, well, do you want a different toy? Do you want something else? No, he kind of wants to be picked up. I pick him up. He still cries. I'm like, huh, this is weird. Like usually that's kind of, it's binary. And then, uh, and then I put him down somewhere else. And then he walks over to his, his high chair and he crawls over to his high chair and then he starts crying. And then I pick him up and he's crying. And I go, he wants to be in his high chair. He wants to eat real food. He's actually expressing a desire. I want food. And what? Cool. Um, so then I kind of I note that to Sarah Beth that she, she's she's doing something there and she she's tired. She's she's pooped. It's not cranky, but just kind of in her head. So I know what we've been feeding him lately is um is baked broccoli and cauliflower. He likes it. It's it's easy to hold on to. He kind of, you know, kind of grazes on the on the um the sides of it. And so I pull two different um, bins of it out. And so I open the first one up, which is a mix between cauliflower and bro- broccoli, and uh, I test it. Um, num, num, num. Yep, this is just nothing on it. Good. Give baby some. He likes it. Chews on it. Throws it on the floor. We kind of have a three-floor rule. He can throw something on the floor three times. And then I say, okay, well, you know what? Maybe he wants a different piece. So I go into the second bin, and I take some cauliflower that had looked like it had been a little bit burnt, but that's fine. And I give it to him. And he's happy. Everything's good. And he picks it up. And I'm kind of doing something else. And then he just starts crying. He is wailing. I'm like, oh, what's up, bud? Like, you didn't like that one? Or you want to be home? And it didn't take me long, but I realized that little bit of a burnt part were the crushed red pepper flakes I'd put on the cauliflower a couple days before. And that second bin was all super spicy hot. And when I realized that, because I, te- I took it from him and I tested it and I went, oh, no. That's not good. How do you communicate this? And Sarah Beth, uh, love, Yeah. I've got a bit of an emergency and I need some help. What, what, what's going on? Theo's crying. Yeah. Um, I gave him, I gave him the cauliflower with the crushed red pepper flakes on it. And she goes, Oh no. And she immediately reaches for him. He's on the other side of the Island. So she can't get him. And then she goes, Oh, let's get him some water. And I say, sweetie, you don't give water for spicy. He needs milk. In other words, he needs you like, Everything you were thinking, everything you were doing, everything you were cooking, I have screwed it up. And now you need to save me from this screw up because there's that that's the solution is you. Uh, so I think so far that is my my biggest dad fail. It's it's sad and it's embarrassing and it's, it's funny and it's tough. That's brutal. And it, I, I we were joke. We were actually talking about that stuff today. Like we are going to like hurt our children in some way shape or form right we'll drop something i had one time i had a dad fail i was looking at my phone which i shouldn't have done while he was like sitting on my legs and i slipped and dropped and like my phone landed on his head yeah (laughs) but it's mostly just some shock but definitely you know we can't be perfect we're gonna have them it's gonna happen highly imperfect dad moment uh and yeah I, i checked batch one and then i just assumed batch two and that was wrong. So then the interesting thing is it didn't actually take long for him to, for the milk to, to do its job and to, to soothe him. Um, I was a little worried he's going to have heartburn or also it could be an allergen. So now all of a sudden you know, I'm on watch him duty. And I've also hijacked Sarah Beth's time and thinking and, and everything at the end of the week. Um, so then the wind comes back to back from that is uh, I then gave him a bath. The first time I gave him a bath, just all on my own. Uh, she's usually been in the room or, or she more, does it more than I. And then uh, I was able to that night, so maybe 45 minutes or an hour after the, the crushed red pepper flake fail, 
um, I was able to put him all the way down, full on asleep, out. And so that was my win on that same day. It's uh, so it's broccoli, bath, and bed, uh, and there's a mixture of wins and fails in there, um, and all together. And yeah, you just have to stare in the eye of your imperfection sometimes. It's good. That's why we're doing this. We are certainly not perfect. All right. Well, thanks, Brad. Thanks for sharing. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you made it this far, we really appreciate you. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for the show, please email us at daddyopodcast at gmail.com. And please like, subscribe, follow us. Uh, We're everywhere you can get your podcasts. We're we're soon to be on YouTube. Follow us uh, and share it with other dads. Uh, We're building a community here. Well, Brad, as always, I appreciate you. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.